What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. The Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Brown on the break for the Celtics. Goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down. And throws it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No block out. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm of MassLive.com. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you? Oh, Tom, just great. <laughs> you, you sound like you're doing fantastic, and I'm thrilled to hear that. So Nicole and I have, coming up later in this pod, we've got a, a fun interview with our good friend Chris Grenham of Forbes. Chris writes about the Celtics there, and he's also a very smart draft guy, so... He and I were able to nerd out for a little bit while Nicole lobbed questions up for us to miss the dunk, I'm sure. But the before that, we're going to talk a little bit, just kind of update everybody on where things are at with the Celtics right now. We had a conference call with Brad Stevens earlier this week. What were some of your big takeaways from that call? Okay, so one, Brad has already completed his postseason evaluations. Obviously, that usually takes place once the season is over. That seems like a good exercise whether play does or does not resume because either it'll be a good way to reflect on everything that happened if play doesn't come back or hopefully they can have useful improvements moving forward. Two, Stevens doesn't really know anything more than what we know, it sounds. He's aware brainstorming and ideas are taking place, but he doesn't have any sort of extra insight as to whether the league is coming back, not coming back. I thought it was really telling where he said it's basically impossible to determine the details of a schedule without a timeline, and we don't have a timeline right now. Three, Celtics are all still staying in touch. They are having Zoom conferences. Four, basketball activity, optional for players. So they did get some bikes sent home and weights, but in terms of actual like drills and stuff, all optional. Trainers have made virtual workouts available, so that's good. And then five, Brad made a PowerPoint for his kids about coronavirus, which is just very Brad, very on brand. And also good because the more people that are educated about the gravity of the situation, the better. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a good summation. I mean, the the thing that was interesting to me about the call was just we didn't really have that much to ask him. Like, and it felt like we should because it's been so long since we've 
talked to anybody from the Celtics, seen anybody from the Celtics. Like we had just kind of the basic questions of like, you know, how are you doing? How is Marcus Smart doing? How have you guys been staying in touch? But apart from that, it just, there wasn't that much to ask him because we're all kind of in the same boat right now. Like we're all isolated. We're all trying to make the best of all this weird time that we have it's it's such an unprecedented situation and we're all trying to navigate it kind of the same way so um i did think it was interesting hearing him talk about the players working out at home i think a lot of nba fans sort of have this false idea that players all have mansions and they all have home gyms and they all have their own basketball court with like their face painted at half court or something like that and that just isn't the case like a lot of these guys like they're very well paid, obviously. So they're living in nice apartments, but a lot of them live in apartments. A lot of them, especially in Boston, especially in Boston where, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, obviously sure. You're LeBron James, you're, you know, your top 1% players will have those, those mansions, but like some of these guys don't. And a lot, most of these guys don't. So yeah, I mean, they have to try to stay in shape. I was, I was talking to a guy who played overseas a couple of days ago, and he was saying that the way he was trying to stay in shape was just literally dribbling a basketball in his basement, like an 11 year old kid on a rainy day. Like it's, it's just very hard to not only stay in game shape, but keep your skills up. Like that's, that's part of what makes basketball. So, uh, you know, so complicated is it's not just a, it's not just an athleticism game. It's not just a skills game. It's a combination of everything. And these guys can't do that right now, which is, which has got to be really hard. For sure. And Brad mentioned that reacclimation period multiple times during his call. And I feel like that's just another indication, not that Tom needs any more convincing, but that the season (laughs) won't be returning just because how they navigate that period is going to be really difficult, let alone timing and scheduling and all the logistics that come with that. For sure. So that's your, that's your Brad Stevens update. But before we get to Chris Grenham, Nicole, take us through this week in TikTok. So I did learn this week that another Celtic has TikTok. Unfortunately, it's not really exciting. It's Ennis Cantor. (laughs) (laughs) And he has been on TikTok for a while, actually, I think even before quarantine started. But his content is just too corny for me. I think a bunch of people saw the marshmallow one that he posted. Did you see that one on Twitter? I, I have not seen the marshmallow one. So he lined up a bunch of marshmallows in like a zigzag line on his treadmill and then turned on the treadmill and ate them. He like put his mouth at the bottom of the treadmill. Sure. Is that yeah. visual coming through? Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I get what he did. Yeah. So if that's I can't your say type I get of why thing, he did it, but I, I get what he did. If that's your type of thing, then go check out Ennis Cantor's TikTok. In bigger news, Jason Tatum posted his second TikTok. The thing that I like about Jason Tatum's TikToks, and I tried to explain this last episode, is that he tries to follow the TikTok trends, if that makes sense. Like if people are doing a TikTok dance, Tatum will also try to do the dance. And so in TikTok, there are these different, I'm sure this is great podcast content. (laughs) There are these different sound bites and different effects that people can use. And so Tatum used an effect of being at a party. Obviously the party was fake. He is social distancing. But I love that he is trying to like keep up. He this did is a great the thing job. about Tatum. He's very funny. Like he's legitimately got a good sense of humor and there's, you know, there's a reason teammates like him. He just doesn't always want to show it. I actually tried to learn a TikTok dance, Tom. You <laughs> yeah, how did it go? They're a lot harder than they look. <laughs> like you can do it. Okay. I feel like I can do it in not slow motion, but not at like real time, like game speed. 
quote unquote. But then once you try and do it at the actual speed of the song, it's like, holy shit, this is very challenging. So again, right, props so to Tatum. If uh, <laughs> if we get 100 reviews, will you do a TikTok dance and post it on your Twitter? Sure. <laughs> All right. So with that, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and have a real conversation with Chris Grenham about the 2020 NBA draft. We'll be right back. The Geno Time Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use the promo code BLUEWIRE, that's B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. Bet online, your online wagering experts. Nicole and I are thrilled to be joined by Chris Grenham of Forbes. Like myself, Chris is very into the draft and very smart about prospects. And we're going to talk about this god-awful class that the Celtics are going to be picking from. So uh, Nicole is not much of a draft head, so we're going to let her facilitate this conversation. Nicole, uh, why don't you uh, ask us everything you've ever wanted to know about the uh, 2020 draft class? Okay, so first... Let's start off by going over what picks the Celtics have. And this is all if the standings were frozen today and the season doesn't resume. But they will have the 17th pick from the Grizzlies, the 26th pick, their own pick, the 30th pick from the Bucks, and then one second rounder, the 46th pick from the Nets. So they'll have four selections. How would you characterize the pool of players they'll be picking from as a whole? I mean, it's it, it's not good. It's bad. Um, I, I think it doesn't help that there was a good draft class last year, and the 2021 class is also looking, it's shaping up like a pretty good class. There's no real depth. Like, you, you don't have any real potential steals that stick out, at least at this point, that you could find, like, deep into the second round or late in the first round. There's a lot of rotation guys, more rotation guys than there are starters in this draft. That's really the best way I can describe it. I know Tom has a lot of similar feelings on this as I do, but just to put it simply, it's not very deep. It's not very talented. And the top end of the class just isn't all that appealing. So if you want to, I mean, it's kind of depressing, but yeah, it's not that great. <laughs> no, I think that's exactly right. I, I think one of the ways to really evaluate this class is to sort of just set aside like, okay, I don't think that anybody in this class is going to be a star with maybe like a couple of like small exceptions at the top. So I think the way to look at this class in sort of a, a productive way is to just say, who are going to be the best role players? How can I maximize my value based on what I need? So for the Celtics, if you just say, you know, maybe they say uh, we want shooting, then you go out and you just find, just find the best shooter, find a guy who you think can, definitely knock down shots who you can try to mold into a defensive system. Like for me, if I was evaluating this class, that's the way I would go about it. I wouldn't even be trying. Like you said, I don't know that there's that much value to be had. I don't know that you're going to get, you know, it, it, you might get some guy late in the second round or something that just nobody saw coming maybe, but 
I, yeah, like you, I don't really see it with this class. Yeah, a lot of drafts, at least early on, and sometimes even into the middle of the first round, there's a lot of cases certain years where if there's a guy on the board, he's talented enough, you're going to take him regardless. You're going to say this guy is, you know, too talented to pass on, and regardless of fit, we're going to grab him. That, again, it's it's not always the case, but a lot of draft classes it is. From the get-go in this one, like right from the top, it's, in my opinion, it's all going to be fit-based. Like, there's not a lot of teams that are going to say Anthony Edwards falls out of the top three. If he's not a great fit, you're probably not going to be like, all right, we got to have him. He's not like a I-have-to-have type talent, like, say, a Zion right. was or something like that. So it's just, it, it's going to be different. And again, this whole pre-draft process is going to be completely skewed because it's, you know, with the league being suspended and and the draft combine is probably not going to happen. It's it's just really going to be a mess, but it'll be a little bit different than normal. I think it'll be fascinating to watch how teams evaluate guys without the combine because I mean there's there's a lot of teams out there that put a lot of stock into that. Like teams like to know yeah. what like for example the Celtics included. The Celtics yeah. are very much in that camp. Of oh, absolutely. To see people in person. Absolutely. Like they, you know, they drafted Jalen Brown in part because they were confident that his that he had the work ethic to maximize all of his, you know, real physical gifts. And without that confidence, I don't you know, I don't know that they would have taken him then without that confidence. He might have been a stretch at number three, but they were willing to to take somebody because they knew that he was going to work on his shot. He was going to work on the things he needed to fix. Mike Zarin said at Sloan that one of the reasons why they felt comfortable trading down to get Tatum was specifically because they had him in for two workouts in LA and one of their worries was his three-point shooting and he like totally put that to rest during that workout and whether those types of things will be able to happen I don't know yeah and it, and in it's like simplest form from like looking at the pre-draft process the difference in spending three hours in person with someone as opposed to like an hour on FaceTime is so yeah. different no matter the scenario and it's going to be as simple as that. Like it's just tough to read someone when you're not with them and, and kind of interacting with them one-on-one in person. So it's, it's going to throw a wrench in this for sure. So sort of diving into the Celtics more specifically four picks is a lot. Where do you Mm -hmm. see openings happening? Do you think they're going to try and make a trade? What's your feeling there? I mean, I, I could definitely see them trying to package a couple of these picks to maybe move up. If there is someone that they like a lot of times that, comes to light during the pre-draft process so who knows what will come from that but I, I could definitely see them packaging maybe maybe two of these first rounders to try and move up Tom I guess would you agree with that if maybe they find someone they like higher up on the board? I mean I honestly if if it took three I would do three because they're gonna have to I mean yeah. they're gonna have to make trades like this there's gonna be right. too many guys and way too many young guys you know as as much as you know, as much as some of these young guys still have a lot of promise, like Tremont Waters is still a very promising player. And, you know, Carson Edwards obviously has had kind of a tough season, but he is still a promising guy. And uh, the Celtics uh, will tell anybody who will listen that they're very high on Taco Fall after his year in Maine. And I I just think that there's, there's too many roster spots already spoken for, for them to have a draft like last year. And the problem is, as the Celtics have learned over and over and over, if you have too many draft picks, teams are going to ask for all of the draft picks because they know that you're not negotiating from a position of strength, which is where Danny Ainge always right. likes to be negotiating from. He likes to have all of his options open at all times. And if you're trying to package picks to move up, I mean, for one thing, in in this year's draft, you're not getting into like the top four with three bad 
first round picks. Like obviously that that never happens. So you would have to attach something of real value if you wanted to get up that high. And I don't think that anybody in the top four this year is worth that. Um, and you know, for another thing, like when you start going through the top eight, there are guys in the top eight who could slide down into like, you know, maybe not the 17 range, but there is guys in the top eight who could slide down into like the, you know, 12 range and maybe you can move up like five picks. So yeah, I mean, I, I do think that they will probably try to make a trade, but it is difficult to do that with it, it's difficult to sell other teams on here's a bunch of first round picks in this year's draft for your much better pick. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of the, the, I don't even know how to say it. The poor potential of this class just kind of hurts all the yeah. trade value for sure. There's not a lot of difference yeah. between the back end of the top 10 and the rest of the teens and even the early twenties. And so I think that is going to cause some hesitation when it comes to draft picks being moved. But Again, they're going to have to do something just because they just have too many with uh, a lack of roster spots open, so they can't just use them. Right. I mean, maybe it's a situation where they they say to, uh, like, Portland at 14 or Orlando at 15, like, hey, we'll give you number 17 and, you know, insert prospect X um, to move up if they were, you know, if if they really wanted to make a run at, like, Nico Mannion or something, which would stun me, but I, but you know, that like, maybe that's, maybe that's a situation they try to, they try to play, but I a hundred percent agree with you. I just don't think there's that much difference. Like it, like, okay. So the mock draft that I'm currently looking at just to make sure I have all the names, like it has Devin Vassell going number 12 and it has Aaron Nesmith going 20 and like, okay. So Vassell is like a better defender prospect for sure. And you know, he's, he's obviously, like very long and there's a lot to like, but like, what's like, is, is there like a, a, a huge difference between Aaron there's Nesmith? not that and much Vassell's? difference between yeah, those exactly. two. Yeah. Like, I just, there's just, it's kind of a crapshoot. And I think a lot of teams are going to, I think a lot of teams are going to find that out the hard way. If they're all pretty similar, like what do you think the Celtics should try and go after? Yeah. So if I'm looking at the Celtics roster, just at the surface and after watching them, you know, up until the season got suspended, I think a knockdown shooter who can space the floor really well would be nice, uh, which is why I think someone like Sadiq Bey from Villanova is good because he also brings some size. He's a versatile defender. He can defend multiple spots. So if you could get someone like him at 17, or if you do have to move up, then you move up. Uh, if you could get someone like him who can space the floor well, he's a confident shooter, he's a smart player, but he's also would be a nice defensive piece coming off the bench. Adding that to the bottom of that rotation or even the middle of the rotation would be really, really nice and would add some really nice depth. So I think shooting and defensive versatility is kind of the archetype that I'm I feel like at. that's what people thought Carson Edwards was going to be after his summer league. Like everyone thought that he was going to be this burst off the bench. Yeah, his his size became an issue pretty fast. Like he was getting bullied along even along the perimeter. A lot, and I don't know if it's a lack of confidence or something, but he he was just really really streaky, a little streakier than he was at Purdue. But that was yeah, that was a people really thought he was going to provide a, a nice offensive punch off the bench, which just never really. Happened. I think part of the problem for Carson is just the way that he gets himself into his like really really good games is by shooting himself into mm-hmm. them, and yeah, he's a yeah high exactly. Shooter, and you, yeah. It's just it's so hard to be a bench player and be a high volume shooter. Cause you come in, 
you miss a couple and all of a sudden you've got everybody yelling at you and it's just you know i i think that's part of the problem for for guys of that archetype i mean he produced he produced well in maine yeah and and that's exactly what you said he was able to shoot it obviously he's able to shoot at a higher volume down there so he can kind of take some time to get into his rhythm it's much easier i will say one of the things about sadiq bay he feels to me like the kind of guy who is projected to go in the middle of the first round, like in that 16, 17 range. Uh, but he, as the draft comes closer and people start to realize that there's just not any star power, he feels like the type of guy that ends up going in the lottery to me. Cause he's so solid. He, like you said, he's a, he's kind of a plug and play player as a guy who should mm-hmm. be able to defend a guy who can really shoot as teams sort of like, look at, Cole Anthony or RJ Hampton. And as they sort of wonder, like, are we pretty sure about this guy? Like, I don't know that those guys offer a lot of, uh, you know, I I don't know that they offer a lot of assurances in that way. I don't feel like you can be very sure about them. So I could see Sadiq Bey going well before 17. We'll see if that happens or not. Um, I'm with you on knockdown shooters. I mentioned Aaron Nesmith before. He's a guy that I've, uh, you know, obviously he had the, the injury that, that held him out. He only played 14 games this season, but, the guy shot 52% from three on 8.2 attempts per game. And again, it's only 14 games, but like if I were the Celtics and I really want a knockdown shooter, which I, I still think is, is probably the best fit in, especially in a draft class like this, Nesmith would be a guy I would take a long look at. Like he's six, six, he's got good size for his position. You know, if, if all you want is a guy to come in and just really space the floor for all your, your real players, eh, you could do a lot worse than, than a guy who, not only shoots really well, but he also relocates really well. He does a lot of different things, um, you know, without the ball in his hands that I think would help. Yeah. And I mean, pending going through his medical records, and as long as that goes well, I think he'd be a, a no brainer for the Celtics there. He's got a good frame as well. I think he's six, five, six, mm-hmm. six. And like you said, it was a limited sample this year, but he shot the lights out. Like he's a high level, legitimate shooter who you could plug in right off the bench right away. And he looks at least to me, in especially this year, frame-wise, feel for the game-wise, IQ-wise, he's he's completely ready for the NBA. And I think a lot more ready for the NBA than some of his wing counterparts in this class. So at least from the Celtics perspective, he would be a no-brainer if he's around at 17, if that's if that's where they ultimately stick. He's funny because I he's such a good shooter, and I've always thought his shot looks a little funky. Like, it you know it's yeah. not it's not broken or anything like that. He's like just an unbelievable shooter, but it is there's something a little weird about it about the about the release or something. I can't quite put my finger on the it. mechanics are a little yeah, funky, yeah. yeah. But he's obviously incredible, uh, you know, incredible numbers to go with that funky release. So he's a guy that I'm looking yeah. at. I also think it's worth looking at the bigs. I know the Celtics like big situation is like they've got some some youth there to play with, but you know a guy like Isaiah Stewart is interesting to me with their pick I, I don't love his archetype necessarily as a guy who isn't like a freak athlete and who isn't necessarily going to be like a switchable option but I like guys who play really hard and he plays really hard and he's really strong like there's there's something there that I kind of like strong is an understatement that guy's a yeah. monster like he is really strong and he works yeah. his butt off I mean he's a hard worker I think Stevens would definitely like that part of his game I think it's one promising thing about him was obviously he only played a year at Washington, but he improved immensely over that time. Um, I think, you know, whether it was his free throw shooting or his work with his offhand, his off ball positioning when he first started uh, at Washington was atrocious. By the end of the year, it was pretty good on both sides of the ball. He was better defensively off the ball and interior 
with the ball, he was he was pretty good, but off the ball is where his real improvements uh, came on both sides. So I think it's promising that he showed that development in that short period of time that you know maybe he's trending in the right direction. I think he probably has compared to some of the other bigs, maybe like compared to someone like a Vernon Carey, he definitely has a higher floor than someone like him. Yeah, I mean, I. I'll be interested to see how the Celtics approach, you know, this draft from a big perspective. Like if, if they feel that a prospect has a better chance of being a, a real rotation center than Robert Williams, would they pursue him? Like, I, I think that's possible. I mean, it, I think actually this draft could tell us a little bit about how they view Robert Williams development and, and whether they, Definitely. Uh, whether they see him as a guy who could be sort of like a, you know, a real rotation player next year. So yeah, we'll see. That'll be interesting. So then going into specifics, at the 17th pick, what would you do? I mean, I would go with if he's there, I like Sadiq Bey. But like Tom said before, I could easily see him going much earlier than he's projected for. Because at some point in this pre-draft process, teams are going to start to realize, okay, this class A stinks. stinks. And B is not deep. Is, is not deep. So we're going to go with a guy who has a much higher floor than a much higher ceiling because a lot of the ceilings in this class just are not going to get met. And when I say a lot, I mean probably a majority of the ceilings in this class are just not going to get met. A guy like Bay who you could plug right in would be perfect. But so if he, if he's there, Sadiq Bay is my guy, just because I think he has one of the higher IQs in this class. He can guard upwards of four, maybe even five positions at times. If it's against a smaller lineup. Uh, I just like guys coming out of Villanova too. He's, <laughs> somewhat similar to Mikhail Bridges when he was coming out. He's smart and he, he's versatile. He can move up and down the floor pretty well for his size. Uh, Aaron Naismith, again, he would be another good guy. Anyone who is relatively versatile defensively but can space the floor well and be a knockdown shooter to plug into that rotation I think would be ideal. But Sadiq Bey would be my my pick. If he's it's there. funny you're talking about ceilings because it's like, oh, like I don't think ceilings are going to be met. And it's like, but like, what are even some of these ceilings? Like I, I look at somebody like Jaden McDaniels and, and he's a guy on paper that you're like, oh, like his ceiling would be so high. And it's like, eh, but is it like, he's not that good at anything. <laughs> like, so right. it's like, I mean, I guess technically you could 6'10 say skinny guy who's not that good at anything. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like me talking about my ceiling in middle school <laughs> basketball. Like my, my ceiling was so high. Like that I was so anything. good. And then, and then everyone grew. So it was really unfortunate, but I think I think you're right. I think a lot of it's kind of pointless. The only the only ceiling that I really would be focused on, I guess, is is Lamelo's yeah. because I think he is the only like star potential guy in this class. But there's a lot of ifs. Like he's got to figure out his shot. His decision making has to improve, and he definitely has to figure out his shot selection. If he can figure out those three, like he has really good court vision already. He's a great passer. He's got good size for his position. A good rebounder for a point guard. I think if everything comes together, he has the highest. If we're talking ceilings, he would have the highest. Uh, but other than that, I don't really know. You're right. Like, I don't really know if there's a point in talking ceilings with a lot yeah, of these. I guys. mean, when you get to the top of the draft, like, obviously, there's guys like Wiseman, his ceiling is, is obviously very high. Like, he, you know, it, and, yeah. he has fantastic TikToks, by the way. <laughs> Back to <laughs> That's, Nicole comes in with her draft my, analysis, yeah, scouting reporting. <laughs> <laughs> but Lamelo is an interesting one to me because I, I just who does he need to be better than defensively to be a productive player? Like I think he definitely needs to be a better defender than like I don't I don't think he can be as bad defensively as Trey Young is and be a, a really productive right. because he's not he's not the shooter that Trey Young is. He's obviously 
you know, taller and, and uh, you know, probably equally good as a passer, but he's not, or close to equally good as a passer, but he's not never going to be the shooter. So if he needs to be better than that defensively, I mean, you're really hoping that him being six foot seven is going to do a lot of work because he is not a good defender. And yeah, I think he'll be better than Trey Young, though. I mean, he moves defensively. He moves better laterally than does. Trey does. And I and I think a lot of it also has to do, and this is the case with a lot of young guys, it's, you know, kind of going into cruise control sometimes on defense. Like James Wiseman has a problem yeah, with that for does. sure. Like he sometimes, you'll watch a couple possessions defensively and you're like, what the hell is he doing? Like it, And that's the case with LaMelo and a lot of these guys. But I think LaMelo will be a better defender than Trey. His size, yeah, will help. His lateral movement will help. But if you watch before he got hurt this year, his anticipation and off-ball awareness got a little bit better. Like, he was jumping passing lanes better. He was just a little bit more disruptive than he was at all in his past. So I'd like to think he's trending in the right direction, but with him, I mean, who really knows at this point? I've run multiple mock drafts during this conversation, (laughs) and a name that keeps (laughs) popping up for the Celtics is Alexei Pokusevsky. Uh Uh-huh. What can you guys tell me about him? (laughs) Well, he's he's very tall, uh, seven footer. Uh, <laughs> he can really shoot. He's up quite a good passer for his size. I think it was somebody on the Stepien uh, wrote a, a pretty good analysis of him that pointed out that he plays more like a guard slash wing than he does a big, and that that intrigues yeah. me as like for a seven footer. Now he's definitely got to. I think I think he's definitely got to get stronger um, from what I've from the little bits and pieces I've seen. But yeah, I mean. Very tall, good shooter, good passer. There's definitely stuff to work with there. Yeah, you're right. His frame is definitely a concern. Like he's not he's not that big for someone who's a seven footer, but he's long yeah. and and for a for a seven footer, he spaces the floor better than most guys his size. Like he's relatively mobile, but there's a lot of question marks there. I think he could end up falling late first round. His range yeah. is everywhere. Like I've seen him as early as 15. I've seen him as late as 38 or something like that. You know, so. If he can put on some muscle and he can get a little bit bigger, I think his mobility with his size would be appealing to someone late in the first round. All right, so there's a couple a couple of interesting ones that I that I haven't talked about. I, I'm interested in Precious Achua. Um, yeah, obviously as like a he's like a small ball big man who uh, who some people are saying he might be able to play the five a little bit, and I just think he would have such an advantage in terms of mobility and athleticism and um, you know just kind of overall skill level as you know a guy who can kind of put it on the floor a little bit um, if he was if you made him the five. I think just, again, mobility-wise, I think he would um, be able to do some of the things that the Celtics are asking. But, you know, if you do that, then you start running into the problem of Grant Williams, who has also shown a lot of nice, you know, nice things this year. So, I don't know. I I would definitely focus on guys who I think can develop into, into real 3 and D threats. Like, I think your best-case scenario, your absolute best-case scenario at 17 in this year's draft is getting somebody like Danny Green. If you can get a Danny Green at 17 yeah. in this year's draft, you have done very, very well. Yeah, grabbing someone with 3 and D potential would be perfect. Ochua is an interesting guy because his his frame and, and defensive upside is, mm-hmm. is awesome. And he has been able to shoot the ball, you know, in spurts. Obviously not that consistently, but he'd be an interesting guy off the bench. Let's do like a word association. So moving on to the 26th pick, I'm going to read some players that are coming up around 26th and tell me what comes to mind. I love this. Love this. So first we have Dukes Vernon Carey Jr., a freshman. 
take the flyer on him. That's not a word. That's not one word, but take the flyer. Are, are on we him. trying to do one word or can it <laughs> yeah. be like a very short sentence? Uh, fine. Very short sentence is acceptable. Take, take the flyer is good. That's, that's a good one. Uh, mm, Ennis Cantor replacement. Oh, wow. I feel like Ennis yeah, Cantor I mean, is just triggering though. So do you mean that in like a good way or a bad way? I just mean he's like Cantor's best things are that he can rebound and he can score with his back to the basket. And he's not a very good defender. And I don't think Carey's going to be a very good defender. And he's a back to the basket, big man who can rebound. I mean, that's actually extremely accurate. Like he's a yeah, he's reliable on the glass and he's a good interior scorer. I never thought about the Ennis Cantor comparison, but God, that really dampers Vernon Carey's outlook. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, I, I, I think he has I no, think no, you're has, right. I, I totally I think he has agree. He has the potential to be a much better defender than Ennis Cantor. <laughs> that would, I would hope so. Yeah. All right, let's stay within Duke. Trey Jones, Tremont Waters. <laughs> Trey Jones. Tra- yeah, that's that's good. I mean, let me think of a good. This word association kind of threw me for All right, a well, loop. While you're doing um, that, I'll just say Trey Jones is a little bit taller than Tremont Waters. He's not as like the reason Tremont Waters works is because he is such a crafty, smart point guard and that's not to say trey jones isn't like he's a very very solid floor general but he's not quite the uh i don't think he's quite the manipulator of an offense the way that tremont waters is yeah he's a good playmaker he kind of runs the floor pretty well uh shooting wise he's a little streaky i don't necessarily trust him 36 percent this year i was i was honestly very impressed yeah he's definitely regretting going back to school first off this year that's uh but Defensively, I like his outlook. So take my word. Yeah, my word association is I like his defensive. (laughs) Put it that way. (laughs) All right. Colorado's Tyler Bay. Do you know a lot about Tyler Bay? I was really hoping you had a lot to say about Tyler Bay. (laughs) Because I've seen seen Tyler Bay like fall deep into some of these second round mocks. And he, there's people who really love him. And there's people who are like, no, he's he's going to be out of the league relatively quickly. I don't really like what he brings offensively. Yeah, yeah, he's a good shooter, but there's not much else to his game. And I don't think he's a great defender per se. Like, I don't think there's much upside yeah. there. Um, so I would say pass is my <laughs> word association. And pass because I have a lack of knowledge. Yeah, he's he, he's he's kind of a blind spot in my... In, in my uh, scouting, I'll admit that. All right. Blind spot. That's my word association. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maryland's Jalen Smith. Jalen is an interesting, he's an interesting guy that people also have strong feelings on. He's pretty talented and he has a good, really good skill set. I think he fits the NBA game pretty well. He can space the floor well where he fits in an NBA scheme though. Like I'm not really sure at six ten. like he, I don't know what he'll play. Like he's kind of a, a bit of a tweener in my mind. So I'll use that. A bit of a tweener Ooh. is my word. I'll go rec specs. Right. Cause he wears rec specs. <laughs> Fitting. I like his game. I mean, I do like his game. I think he's got yeah. some upside. No, he does. I mean, he's like you said, like, the, I mean, the frame is, is good. The, the, the skills, skill level is pretty solid. I mean, I thought that he was going to be, I thought he was going to be a one and done when I saw him at, at, in high yeah. school. Uh, just, you know, looking at the, at the frame and the skill set and the, uh, you know, the way that he projected to the NBA game. But yeah, he hasn't necessarily, necessarily looked like a, he definitely didn't look like a one and done last year. And 
obviously he's like a late first now this year. Yeah, put it. Th- I I would take him over Jones or over Bay or you know the other guys we've discussed. I I would take I like Smith the most. Out Smith of and Carey would be a bit of a toss up for me. I would I'd be fine with either one. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, as we go farther in the draft, like the thirtieth and the forty sixth pick, who are some of your sleepers that might be like good value there? This is where it gets tough. Like I saw one mock draft the celtics grabbing devin dotson from kansas they're like it re- we really all read sam Vecini's mock drafts all right it that you <laughs> bet but what like i don't think i don't think i would really look for anything in particular like i think this would be a second round to just take a flyer like if you're looking for someone who has crazy athleticism like yeah you go for yes. Cassius stanley or someone like that give me but, Cassius stanley uh, then like if I've talked about him before, but if a guy like Paul Reed falls in the second round, like I really do like Paul Reed's game. I'm a little biased because I've been watching him at DePaul for the last three years, just because I'm a I'm a Big East guy. But defensively, I like the way he can disrupt any sort of offense, and so I would like a guy like Paul Reed's value late in the second round. Or Tom, you seem to be in agreement that Cassius Stanley would be an interesting. I, I would quietly, if the Celtics held on to all three of their picks, I would take Cassius Stanley at thirty. All four of their picks. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. Because um, because Stanley isn't going to make it to forty six, and I like him. Like I I think there's something there, and he's just he's such yeah. an otherworldly athlete. Like I don't think you're getting you're not getting anything otherworldly in this draft class. Um, anywhere like pretty much anywhere else outside of like the top like five. You know, if you're if you can get somebody who is for sure going to be like a like top one percentile of something in the league, that's intriguing to me late in the first round of this draft. So I would take Cassius Stanley. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, I got like five guys in the second round who I kind of like. Uh, so I, I like Xavier Tillman. I think he's I think he's going to be mm-hmm. a productive role player for, you know, somebody. And it, I, I'm honestly not sure why he's slipping into the second round for a lot of these mocks. I think, I think he's a, I think he should be a first rounder. Um, I'm still interested in Isaiah Joe. I was really high on him before the season as a shooter, um, basically for the the Aaron Nesmith role. And he, you know, is like didn't have like the best season and got injured. Uh, I think in like February and, and shut down for the rest of the year. But um, so I, I would still be interested in him. Um, I've always been a Scotty Lewis guy. I, I, I don't know if he's going to come out. I don't think he will. Uh, but if he did, he would probably be a second round pick. And I have always liked how hard he plays. And obviously he had a down year as well, but he, he plays really hard and he's such an athlete. And uh, I'm still, <laughs> I know, I know we just talked about undersized guys, uh, you know, that the Celtics already have, but I mean, Marcus Howard is just a bucket, man. Like, he is God, Marcus Howard is the worst defensive guard He's like I've ever seen in my life. Fuck it though. God, I can't wait for that guy to kill it in Europe. <laughs> he's gonna kill it in Europe. It's gonna be he's great. Such a bucket. God. He's yeah, he's an absolute bucket. But Jesus, that guy's terrible defensively. He's really like, bad. So so bad. But we were talking before yes, about, about is... guys who are worse defenders than Trey Young, and he's worse. Oh God, Marcus Howard takes that with easily. Like my God, but you're right. He's a walking bucket for sure, but that guy will not last over he's here. Not, like he's, he's not going to last. He is destined for I Turkey. Just, I honestly, I just want to watch him at one summer league, which we're probably not going to get a summer league this year anyway. So I, I don't know. That's so true. He would be, he would be lights out at summer league. It'd so awesome. if, if the Celtics use the 46 pick on Marcus Howard, just so that I could enjoy the thought of him playing at summer league while I'm 
not in Vegas because Vegas isn't going to happen. Uh, that would be great. So anyway, those are uh, those, those are <laughs> those are some of my guys. Obviously, the second round is super flawed, but um, because the first round is 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 bad, so you would imagine that the guys in the second are even worse. But Cassius Stanley would be my guy. I'm I'm all in on the Cassius Stanley bandwagon. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. Like, there's a lot of guards deep in that second round that you know similar to Marcus Howard, where they're one dimensional and they don't have too much else yep. to their game. Like like even a guy like Peyton Pritchard, it, it, like someone like him who plays real hard and can score well, but probably doesn't have a ton of upside yeah. here. It's a lot of guys like that. So I don't have a ton of guys. I would, you know, say, gotta go grab them. If God, if the Celtics were to get Marcus Howard, I, I would be angry. I would definitely be angry. <laughs> um, okay. Jumping back up to the top of the draft, or I guess the top of the Celtics draft. So the 17th pick. Who is someone that you would definitely not even entertain the possibility? That's tough. Uh... I guess one of the guys that I'm not very in on is Theo Maladon. Um, I've seen, or I'm honestly not sure how to pronounce his last name either, but I've watched, you know, like, again, like a fair amount of stuff just on YouTube. I've tried to catch as much as I can, and I just, I don't necessarily see it. Like, I get that there's things to like there, but I... I just think that if you draft a guy like him, you're getting a point guard who is probably going to be coming off your bench. And I don't love the value of drafting a like like a rotation point guard, like a second or third ball handler um, in the first round, even in a draft like this. I just think I, I think you can do better than that, especially um, if you're you know, especially I mean, just look at Tremont Waters like the Celtics got him in the second round, like pretty deep in the second round. So I, I just think like. You can you can do better for your point guard rotation than drafting somebody who is probably just going to be a bench guy. I'll I'll stick with the same position. I mean, I Tom, I was texting you about this the other day. I'm not big on Nico Manian. I never really have been. Um, so again, if he became a more consistent shooter, specifically off the dribble, I think that would change things a little bit. But I worry about his ability to get to the rim. He can't really create as well as some of the other guards in this class. Yeah, he can score, and, and you know, we, I guess you could classify him as a three-level scorer, but very streaky yeah. at that. Uh, his frame also concerns me a little bit. He's pretty skinny, needs to put on uh, some muscle, and defensively, I'm just not crazy about what he brings to the table. So Nico is a guy that I would avoid, but he's another guy where, like, I've seen him in the lottery, and I've seen him in the second round. So I have no idea what teams think of him, but I, I would, well, it's, you know, we talked about ceilings earlier and he's actually a guy who does have like a relatively high ceiling. I think he does. Um, you yeah. know, if, like you said, it's funny to call him a three level scorer because until like, you know, the last, what, probably 10 games of the season, all he was taking was floaters. So, so that it's, was it. That was, so it was like, yeah. is that the third level? Like, does he get, I mean, <laughs> it's, not, it's not really getting, does he have a rim. different like, third level <laughs> than other people? Yeah. So, uh, but no, I mean, I, I like him a little bit better than you do just as like a, a pick and roll guy, um, because I think that yeah. I think that being in a league that just emphasizes the pick and roll so much is going to help him a little bit. But I definitely get the hesitation, especially with you know the defense and, and then the streakiness. Like he's a guy who really needs to be able to hit threes at a at a high level to be a successful player in the NBA. And I, th- I mean, he shot what, like 32 percent or something like that for the season. So, yeah, it was low 30s, I think. And, and yeah, he's offensively he'll be in trouble if that exactly. doesn't happen but again he's he's a younger he's one of the younger guards so you know we'll see what happens all right last question who is your absolute favorite player like across the board in the draft my guess is tom's is onyeko kungu i don't know i've really talked to myself into cassius stanley over the last 10 minutes here 
I mean, he's. <laughs> I would. I would rather watch him than anyone else. Like I could jump through the roof. No, nah, I mean, mine is a mine is a Kung Wu. I just. I, I know what I'm getting with him, and in this year's draft that makes me very comfortable and i just i i think that i think that whoever gets him is really going to love his his mentality his motor and just his his general work ethic um i also as like a, a sleeper in the in the first round i i know that it's not very fashionable to like him at this point but i just think cole anthony is going to get buckets if you're drafting him hoping you're getting like chris paul or something then yeah you're going to be disappointed but if you're just getting a guy who you're like hey can you just like just go score for me i think he's going to be able to do that he's a tough shot maker he, you know, he, he gets really hot too. So he, he'd be, I think Okungwu is, is my favorite. And then kind of the, I guess, I guess one of my sleepers for the, like the lottery um, is Cole Anthony. I think Cole Anthony is actually a good pick. There's a lot of people down on him just because yeah, he was hurt and yep. UNC had such a bad year. He was also like, there was nothing good. That UNC team UNC sucked. Was, they were so bad. He was in such a bad spot. So that didn't help his value at all, but you're right. I do think he's, a high level bucket. I think he's going to be able to score very well and a lot better than a lot of these guys in the first round. Um, to answer the question, my favorite would be very repetitive, but it'd be Sadiq Bay. That he's my favorite oh, wow. guy in this first round group, uh, for sure. I've been a big fan of his for a while. Uh, besides him, I'm a big Isaac Okoro fan. He definitely needs to figure out his shot, but defensively, I love what he brings to the table. I think he's an elite level defender versatile moves really well laterally he's got good size i think he can contribute defensively right away so both those guys i like them more than anyone else because i think they're going to be towards the top of the list of guys who contribute right away where i think there's a lot of guys in this class who probably will take some time i think both akuro and bay will be able to kind of plug and go akuro maybe not so much offensively definitely defensively but bay i think on on both sides all right, so Nicole has declared that that's the end of the podcast, so we'll we'll leave it there. Um, anybody that uh, just just out of curiosity, Grunham, anybody that we didn't talk about that you're like intrigued by, or or uh, you know, just just anybody in the first round that 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 you like or that you're excited to see in the uh, in the NBA. I'm excited for Killian Tilly. We didn't talk Ooh, about him. Okay. I like his game a lot. I'm not really sure what he'll bring to the pro level. I mean. He's not great on the glass. He's definitely going to need to fix that. But I loved watching him at Gonzaga. I think he's a talented player. He's also older. He's on the older side. He's 22. Uh, but I like his game a lot. He's going to fall probably into like the early second would be my guess, something Agreed. like that. But he's a smart player. I, I like him a lot. So we didn't we didn't touch on him. Do you have any Killian Tilly thoughts? Uh, I don't have any Killian Tilly thoughts. He's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I ask everyone on the street. Hey, do you have any Killian Tilly thoughts? No, yeah, no I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I'm like everybody else on the street. I, I like RJ Hampton a little bit. Um, yeah, I was I, I liked him a lot in high school, and I, I got to I got to see like three or four of his games in uh, in uh, Australia. And I'm you know he's not. I don't think he's going to be like a star or anything like that. But I, I think it's intriguing to look at a guy who's as young as he is, who has the physical gifts that he has, and he was able to sort of plug and play in a professional system. Like it's not. He, you know, he's not a perfect right. player or anything like that, but I, I think it's intriguing that there's a guy that young, that athletic, you know, all, all of that kind of thing, um, who who was able to contribute at a solid level to a to a real professional team. Yeah, for sure. I thought that was a productive year for him to go over there. Do you have any real quick? This is going to go, go on for like any... another thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nicole. You, we could we could close this up now, and Tom yeah, and I could just you, stay. You on can and, go. And... <laughs> <laughs> Real quick before we go, what are your OB top and thoughts? Uh, 
I think he's pretty properly rated. I think in the, in this year's draft yeah. class, he's probably like you know a top five guy, top six guy, whatever. Like I don't love him. Um, I wouldn't build yeah. a team around him. But if you if you know if 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 you have the number seven pick and Obi Toppin is still there, I think that's pretty good value. Yeah, I think he's got a relatively solid floor, higher floor. But I think he could be a bit of a tweener. Like I'm not really sure how he fits. I think that really depends on who drafts him, but. He plays hard and, he, and he's smart. He moves moves pretty well. He's got a good frame, so I kind I, I like him. But yeah, properly rated, I think, is a good way to look yeah. at it. All right, guys, uh, we will wrap it up there. Want to thank Chris Grenham uh, for hopping on the podcast and uh, talking about one of my favorite topics. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Grenham. That's Chris G R E N H A M. And uh, you can follow me at Tom underscore NBA. And don't bother following Nicole because Nicole never tweets. But if you uh, <laughs> if you want to follow her completely silent Twitter account, it's uh, at Nicole C. Yang. Uh, if you guys want to do us a big favor, you can leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. And, uh, you know, a little five-star wouldn't hurt alongside that. And Nicole and I will be back later this week. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.